would you handle it if you came face to face with a killer? And what if that killer had taken away someone who was very near and dear to you? Parent, brother, sister, cousin, best friend. What would you do with that moment? Let's talk about that today. It's Robert Kennedy the third RK3. That's me, and welcome to another episode of the What's My Story podcast, the show where we share pivotal moments in people's lives that propel them to success. My goodness, I think I said a lot of P's just now. I like alliteration, people. That's how we do this thing. Anyway, we do this every Monday at 1:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Eastern Daylight Time. Never sure which time it is, except it's the time that's on the East Coast of the United States. That's what you need to know. Join me every Monday at at 1.30. I want you to do something else for me. Do me a favor. Do your man a favor. Text me right there. Text me. Text me. 410-936-4049. If you have any thoughts, if you have any ideas, if you just want to share what you're thinking, or if you have a suggestion for another guest that you want to see on the show, text me 410-936-4049. And also, if you are a business owner who wants to share and get a little bit more visibility for your business with your story, then join me in the Storytellers Growth Lab. Last thing, and then we're going to move into the show. If you are driving right now, I hope you're not driving right now. That means you shouldn't be watching this show right now. I don't want you to watch and drive. Make sure that you drive safely. And because we want you to be safe, we have an audio version of this podcast, and that is released every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Eastern Daylight Time. Like I said, whatever time it is on the eastern coast of the United States, there's an audio version of this show. And our guest today, I know, is going to drop bombs. She's going to drop nuggets, gold nuggets that you want to rewind and hear when it comes out on Thursday. If you're here right now, oh yeah, somebody's saying alliteration. Is there any other way? Yes, that's right, Andrew. <laughs> Love it. Well, listen, let's get to our guest for the day. My guest today is Candace Mama. She's one of Vogue magazine's top 33 most inspiring women in the world alongside Nicole Kidman, Michelle Obama, Malala Yousafzai. She's one of 75 people that the United Nations chose to honor in 2020. Oh yeah, wouldn't you like to be honored by the United Nations? A three-time published author contributed to She by the UN peace building for British Council and her own book, Forgiveness Redefined. Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. TEDx speaker. She's also been chosen to lead the UN-backed initiative Women Power in South Africa, making her the youngest member ever to hold that position. Hey, Candice Mama, what's your story? Welcome to the podcast today. Hi, Robert. It is so good to be here. I love your energy. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much. I thank you for sharing with us, with me, with the world, a little bit of your time today. So I'm, I'm super excited that you're here because the first time that I came across you was actually a few months ago at the National Speakers Association Influence 
convention and you were there in video at least and you shared a powerful story we really want to hear that a little bit today but before we get into the story tell us a little bit about what you're up to right now what's the most exciting thing in your space in your world right now oh my goodness rob there's so much that's happening in my life and so much i'm excited about um, I'm currently writing my second book, uh, <laughs> so I'm very excited about that. You know, uh, Coffee with Candice is coming back, which is my podcast. Um, I have the honor of working with some incredible organizations. One is Real Success Network. We hold some of the largest virtual summits in the world. And our biggest one is yet to come. We're going to have Robin Sharma. We're going to have Deepak Chopra. We're going to have Mal Robbins. So a lot of really cool and exciting things are happening in my life. Nice. I love it. I love it. So I, I, I want to unpack a little bit here. You you have had an experience that most of us have not had in that you had the experience of losing a parent tragically at an early age. And so the story for you is that your father was not just killed, but he was burned and beaten. And it was it was this big deal. It was it was a very traumatic situation. So in the aftermath, of that as a young child. How old were you when that happened? I mean, I was a baby, so I was only yeah. seven months old when that happened. Wow. Wow. So mm -hmm. you you probably didn't have any immediate reaction to that thing when it happened, but at the age of maybe five, six, seven, as you began to learn a little bit about what happened to your dad, what feelings did you struggle with? What what was going on in your in your personal space as you began to recognize the gravity and the, and the magnitude of what took place? Yeah, so I think for me, it didn't happen as you know most people would expect it to. I discovered it at nine years old actually, and how I ended up discovering how brutally my father was killed is my mom had purchased a book and it was called Into the Heart of Darkness by Jock Poe. And on the cover of the book, I remember she pointed at one of the men and she said, this is the man who killed your father. Wow. And I remember every time we'd have guests, you know, she'd send me to the room and ask me to get this book. Then I'd give it to her and she'd send me out of the room. And Robert, every time I sat outside the door, I'd hear strong reactions, crying, screaming. And mm -hmm. one day I wanted to hear, what was this book about? And I remember that I heard that my father was in the book. And at the time, I only owned about three pictures of my dad. So I thought, mm -hmm. oh, my goodness, you know, I'm going to get this other picture. And so I eavesdropped and I finally got the page number. And one day when my mom left me home alone, I ran, I got the book. And inside the book, as I got to the page, was a picture of my dad's burnt body clutching a steering wheel and his eyes were protruding. And so from that age, I just became so depressed, so anxiety just driven. Um, I remember I changed my demeanor. I went from this fun loving child to this serious person um, and so that's how it really changed me it was just yeah it was one of those moments in life that one can't forget wow wow so tell us a little bit about who your dad was he wasn't he didn't just go to the construction yard and come back home your dad had a profound impact in the way that he operated tell us a little bit about who he was 
Absolutely. So I want to start by saying my dad was only 25 at the time he was killed. Mm. And oh, wow. what made him so special was that he was an activist and he worked for the Pan-African Congress and he was being groomed by Zef Mutuping, who was heading the Pan-African Congress at the time. And so he was very much trusted by the leader of the PAC um, and he was a skilled driver. He was a protector. He was someone who was very engaged in, you know, fighting injustice and in fighting apartheid. Yeah. Yeah. So did the fact that he was an activist affect you any differently than it, than it would have if he was not? I know that's a big yeah. question. It's it's a I don't know. Some people say esoteric. It's kind of like up here. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a brilliant question. And yeah. I think, you know, in many ways, I don't want to pretend like it didn't have an impact, because for mm -hmm. me, in order to contextualize what had happened, I needed that story. I needed that background, right? And mm -hmm. so as a youngster coming to terms with, why would my father have been killed? And I think it's important for people to realize that I come from South Africa, which yeah. at the time was, you know, very racially divided. And so in many ways, my dad was killed for being a black man. And so for me, it was very important to understand my dad's psyche. And I think the fact that he wasn't someone who just sat back and hoped that the system would change, but rather someone who engaged in changing the system really allowed me to have tremendous respect for him, but also made me want to be a better person and live a life yeah. for both of us and not just for myself. Wow. Wow. So your, your dad gets killed or gets murdered when you're very young. You grow up, you find out this story in your late single digits, I'll call it. You find out the story of your dad and you find out what he did and all of the circumstances surrounding his his passing. So as you get into your later teens and your maybe even your early college or secondary or post-secondary years, what begins to happen in, in your mind? Do you begin to think about... I don't know, perhaps following in his footsteps. What, what are some of the things that begin to process? What do you begin to process at that point? Yeah, so for me, it was probably around the age of 16 mm -hmm. that I, mean, I was a very active person. I was an athlete. I thought I was going to be a pro athlete. Um, yeah. And I went to bed one day and I remember I just had this pain in my chest. And I said to my mom, I think I'm having a heart attack. And so I was rushed to the hospital. Long story short, I was kept under observation. And the following day, the doctor said he needed to see my mom and I. And I remember we sat there and he said the following words to me, Rob. He said, you know, your body is killing you. And wow. if you don't change what you're doing, you're going to die. And he said, in my over 20 years of experience, I've never seen stress symptoms so severe in someone wow. your age. And... At 16, I had to come to terms with my own mortality and I had to come to terms with what was killing me. And I remember at the time, I didn't think anything of it. Nothing came to mind, to be honest. And I think it was a few weeks or months later where I was walking, I was like walking with my bag, you know, from training and a thought came to mind. And that thought was Eugene killed your father and now you're letting him kill you too. And that was the singular moment that really began to shift how I began to relate to my life and relate to my existence in the world. And so that's really one of the defining moments in my life. Wow. So I think one of the things that is, is 
strikes me as well is that not only did you find out about the traumatic way that your father died, you now become familiar with the person who was responsible for that. Uh, what, what, once you found that out, what were the thoughts that you had about this person? What were some of your early thoughts about this, this person and their actions? I mean, I think I had the same thoughts as many of us would have, right? He must mm -hmm. be evil. Um, you know, what kind of human being does that? He cannot be like us. He cannot be like yeah. Robert. And he cannot be like Candace. He cannot be like people watching this, right? He He's an other. He cannot be human in order to yeah. do yeah. something so catastrophic. And so for me, I didn't relate to him as a human being. I related to him as almost a monster that was mm -hmm. over there. And the rest of us were over here. And so that was basically my earlier experience in relation to Eugene. Wow. Wow. So I think, man, most of us don't have the opportunity. If we have a traumatic situation happen in our life, we don't have always the opportunity to to get close to that, that the person or the catalyst uh, of that. So I want to ask you now, as you, you find out who he is, and you have the opportunity to meet him. You get the opportunity to meet him. What was that moment like when you found out you were gonna be able to meet the person who took your father away from you? But before you answer that, I saw you breathing in. All right, before you answer that, let's go to a word from our sponsor for today. Are you still struggling to plan your next event? Let us rescue you. It's handled. Melissa Jakes, CEO and founder of Rescue Event Planning, the Olivia Pope of Live Events. Consider your next event handled. Planning an event can be a stressful time. And so Olivia Pope, I was going to call her Olivia Pope. Uh, Melissa Jakes of Rescue Event Planning. Make sure that you get connected with them so that you can have your next event handled. So let's jump back to this story with Candace. So you find out who your dad's killer is and years go by and you have the opportunity to meet him. Take us behind the scenes here a little bit. How did this opportunity come to come, come to pass? How did it come about? So how it had happened is in South Africa, they were holding something called um, the victim perpetrator dialogues, which wow. is basically they were putting together the perpetrators with the victims and they were facilitating these conversations. Mm -hmm. And apparently for years, they couldn't find my family. And so eventually they got a hold of my mother and I was coming from the gym, I was 23 at the time. And as I walk into the house, mom screams from the top of the stairs and she says, I just got a call from the national prosecuting authorities. And at the time I'm still like, you know, in the gym buzz, so I'm like listening, but not really listening. Um, and then she said the following words, she said, they want to know if we'd like to go see Eugene Cock in prison. Wow. And Robert, I remember just being frozen in the door. My eyes were huge. I just like could not speak. And I remember just saying yes. I just said yes. Mm. And my mom was like, no, if no one wants to go, we don't have to go. If only one of you wants to go, we can go. And I remember just saying, yes, I'm going. Whatever anyone else decides is their business, but I'm definitely going. And I went to my bedroom and I remember just thinking, Oh my 
goodness. I am going to meet this man face to face. And I remember just thinking that if I'd said no, it would be something I'd regret for the rest of my life. And so that was the behind the scenes of what had happened prior to our encounter. Wow. So as you get this encounter opportunity and you, you say yes to it, what are some of the questions that just begin to flood to your, to your mind at this point, Candace? You know, I think at the time I was just in survival mode, Robert, to be honest, I did. I tried not to think of it. Like I tried my best to go in as clear as possible. I tried my best to be as grounded as possible. And I remember just thinking, I need to surrender this. What will be, will be. I cannot control this. And I tried to be as um, non-judgmental about what I expected or what I was going to answer as possible. And as a human being, of course, I could not walk in with no judgment. So I did have my judgment. But I just tried not to think about it until the day came. Wow. Wow. So I, I and I and I'm asking that because there are a lot of people or there who are people who go through a traumatic instance like that. I can only imagine that there are a lot of things that emotions and questions that that immediately flood to you. And so um, what feelings? I mean, I, I think you said earlier that you thought of him as, you know, why would this evil monster take my father away from me? Were you still thinking of him in that way as you now had the opportunity or did anything change for you over time? I think for me, you know, I needed to, from the age of about 16, to Mm -hmm. attempt to define myself outside of this person. Because what I'd realized is my identity was strongly linked to him and I just did not have an identity as Candace. I had an identity as someone who Eugene de Kock had impacted. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to start removing myself from that narrative. And so mm-hmm. for me, I started just moving away from it in a way that I didn't even, I tried not to think about him. I just thought about him as my father's killer who was over there, who was going to die in prison. And that was it. And to me, that was good enough for me to try and find myself, find my happiness and live a life that my father would be proud of. And so mm-hmm. going into the encounter, I didn't go in feeling particularly like, oh my goodness, I'm going to meet a monster. I just went in feeling like I really want to hear what he has to say. That was really what my thinking was. I was like, I want to know what this person does even remember. That's another thing I asked myself. I was like, how on earth is he even going to remember? This is a man who was charged for 89 charges of murder and he was Mm -hmm. sentenced to 212 years in prison. So that was really what was going through my mind. Wow. So you get the opportunity, the day comes, you get into the room and this person is sitting across the table right in front of you. Mm. What's going through your mind right at that moment as you now finally come face to face with your father's killer? Absolutely. And technically he was actually next to me. So okay. when I saw him, it was one of those things where I couldn't believe it. He was like frozen in time. He looked everything like the picture I'd seen growing up. And I remember just thinking, oh my goodness, like this is the person. And it was a 45 minute to an hour encounter. And when I say Robert, I didn't say anything until the end. I couldn't speak. I was just like, I was just listening and I was just absorbing. And I think I held my breath for most of that time. And so it was a very surreal experience for me, just listening to how he spoke, assessing his body language, assessing him, 
you know, um, and I think for me, that was very important for what ended up transpiring between the two of us. Mm -hmm. So did he just kind of when you say you're sitting there, listen to him speak, was he being asked questions by others or did he just come with a speech? What, what was that like? No, no, no. So um, they had asked us each to ask a question and to speak freely. And so I was there with my family and my mom was asking the questions. So, you know, my mom needed to know, like, how my father had died, why my father had died, um, you know, how he felt responsible for this, you know. Uh, and so those were kind of the conversations that were going on based on the questions that were being asked of him. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this, because there are times where you, you have this moment to speak to th this person and or somebody that's wronged you in some ways. And a lot of us go into those moments if we have them with expectations of what they might say or how you will respond based on what they say. If he had not been maybe as remorseful as you might have hoped for, how do you think you might have responded? Mm, that is a powerful question. And I get asked that pretty often. And uh -huh. you know what the thing is about every time I get asked, I like I still think about it because to be honest, Robert, I can't tell you. I can't tell you because, you know, I don't want to put myself on like some moral pedestal and say, oh, right. if he wasn't remorseful, I would have still forgiven him and left feeling good, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, because that would be a fallacy. I don't know if that would have been the case. Um yeah. I, I do believe though that from my work with forgiveness and from what I've experienced, I would have needed to forgive him eventually if mm. I were to live a better life. And so it was even in the encounter, it had nothing to do with Eugene himself. It had a lot more to do with me as an individual. Was I going to stick with the pain or was I going to release it? And I think mm. he made it a lot easier because he was remorseful. Wow. Wow. I, I love that. And I really wanted to ask that because there are so many people who have opportunities and they have expectations. They don't get the expected response and they it affects them for a very long time. I, I forget who said this, but they said something like holding on to bitterness or holding on to pain is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> right? So, so, so this forms now the basis of your work. You're able to forgive your father's killer. And what happens next? What, what begins to, to, develop in response you're starting to get calls or maybe you're writing what happens that allows people to now begin to take notice of the fact that candace mama has forgiven this person who took her father from her yeah it was so crazy robert like when i say my life became a whirlwind mm -hmm. i think for two weeks somewhere in the world i was on the news morning and night i think wow. by the maybe by the second week my voice actually started to disappear like it was insane and really what had happened was you know at the end of my encounter with eugene um you know my family had already said they forgive him and then it got to me and i said you know hi eugene and it was as i said the first time i spoke and i said you know i want to say i forgive you but before i do i want to ask you one question and he said anything what's that and i said i want to know do you forgive yourself Wow. And he looked away and he looked back at me and he said, every time a family comes here, that's one question I hope they never ask me. Then he looked mm -hmm. away again and wiped the side of his eye because a tear had come down. And he mm -hmm. said, when you've done the things I've done, how do you forgive yourself? 
And Rob, at that moment, single-handedly probably changed the course of my life because I started to sob and just cry. But what surprised me was I wasn't crying for myself. I was crying for this human being sitting in front of me because I realized there was nothing I could do to take away his pain, nothing he could do to take away mine. And so I went on to advocate for his parole. And, and that's really what happened. You know, that's when people were like, we've heard the story about this girl, you know, her, her father was killed and she's forgiven this man. And in South Africa, Eugene de Kock was defined as prime evil. So to forgive prime evil as a young black woman was like unheard of. And so that's really what ended up happening. I, saw, I did my first interview and after that, it just rolled into something else. And mm -hmm. yeah, now I'm sitting in front of you today sharing the story. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say I don't want to I don't want to just roll by this, the word that you just mentioned, you said you began to advocate for his parole. What did yeah. that look like? I saw in some of my information or some of my stalking or research of you that there was a letter that you wrote about this. What, what was what was that advocation or the advocacy like for you yeah. as you began to, to undertake it? Yeah, so for me, I honestly at the time didn't look at it as like advocacy overall. Mm -hmm. However, I did think it was important for me to, now that I had this, you know, chance to speak, was yeah. that if I was ever going to say one last thing, I wanted it to be my own writing and my own words. And basically in the letter, I just, you know, said that, you know, the constitution that we in South Africa live according to speaks about the fact that, you know, things that were done in the past within the context of apartheid, um, need to be deemed as just that, crimes of apartheid. And if we are to adhere to a country that is going to be racially free, we do need to extend the same olive branch to the people who committed the atrocities as we did to others. And so for me, that was very important. And it was something I just wanted to get all out there and say, you know, this man was not a lone ranger operating of his own accord. He was, he was following orders. And if the same people who gave him the orders went on to win the Nobel Peace Prize and do other things, then why should he be the only one left in prison? And so for me, that's really what the letter stated. And I thought it was important because he was doing a lot of work with the national prosecuting authorities to find missing bodies. And he could only do that work outside of prison instead of within it. And so I thought if any other family could get some sort of healing because he could find a body, then they should before he passes on. Wow. Wow. So I've placed on screen here your, your book, Forgiveness Redefined. Tell us a little bit about the book and the, the process of it. What was the, what was the catalyst really for deciding I've got to write this book and get this out into the world? Thank you so much, Robert. So for me, you know, Forgiveness Redefined was an important book in the sense that people think of healing as a linear journey. You know, mm -hmm. you make a decision and then like you get to the healing point. But the truth is, you make the decision, then you go back, then you go forward, then you go back and up and round and da, da, da. And eventually yeah. you get to a place where you're good with yourself. And so for me, forgiveness has always had the connotation of you doing it for the other person or you're doing it to be morally righteous. And what I really came to learn was that forgiveness was taking stock of your own emotions. Because mm. the strongest thing I ever realized was that whatever controls your emotions controls your life. And for the longest time, Eugene controlled my life from prison. And I didn't want anyone else to live with that. And so that's why I wrote the book. I wanted them to see my journey and my experience. And I hope that it wouldn't be something like it would just be an impetus or like a catalyst for them to look at their own situation just a little bit differently. 
Love it. Love it. Where do people find out more about you? How do they connect with you or have coffee with you online? <laughs> I love that. So people can connect with me on my website, www.candicemama.com. Um, there they'll find my podcast, Coffee with Candice, um, and they'll find my book. And then they can find me on Instagram. I'm, I'm always posting on Instagram and I love, love, love engaging with people. So yeah, those are all the different places and Facebook and all other places. Just speak to love. me, guys. I really love speaking. <laughs> <laughs> excellent excellent candace has been phenomenal having you on the show if you could give us in 10 seconds or less what's your final word that you want to share with anyone who has had a loss or something traumatic that they've had to deal with how what, what's the word that you would share with them absolutely robert so i would say to everyone that when trauma happens to us is the po first point of impact but when we relive that cycle, we relive it again and again and again. And what I really want people to understand is that you are the leading role of your life. You are the, you know, you are the Denzel Washington of your movie. You are the author of your book. And I want you to live the most empowered and free life that you can. And I just want you to use the tools at your disposal to become the best version of yourself because the world deserves that and you deserve that. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. Candace, hang out with us in the green room for just a moment and we'll wrap this thing up today. All right. Listen, I just want to share with you that all of us have moments in our lives where we're hurt. All of us have moments in our lives where somebody does something that we didn't expect. Maybe we experienced bullying. Maybe we experienced theft. Maybe we've experienced abuse. Maybe we've experienced something just so traumatic that you think about it all the time every day. Well, here's what I want to share with you. Do not let that moment control you, as Candace has mentioned. Don't let that moment eat you up all the time and keep it inside. What we discuss on this show is not only the stories of others, but we want you to be able to gain the courage to share your story because your story not only heals others, it heals you. Sharing your story allows some of that experience to come out and transform somebody else's life because they see how you were able to navigate your pain and turn it into power. Don't forget, as we said at the end of everything, at, at the end of every show, everything that happens to you in life is your stuff. Your stuff is your story and your story. Yeah, your story deserves a stage. I'm Robert Kennedy III, RK3, and I'll see you on the next episode of the What's My Story podcast. What's my story?